This podcast brought to you by ACES, the American Society of Information Science and Technology, the Society for Information Professionals, by the IA Summit, the premier gathering place for information architects and other user experience professionals, by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesnarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. And special thanks to Axure and Morin for sponsoring Boxes and Arrows, as well as the many other sponsors of the IA Summit. Assistant Professor in the Interdisciplinary Program of Information Architecture and Knowledge Management at Kent State University, David Robbins shares preliminary results developed in partnership with colleague Santa Katia from a survey administered to 128 people from 12 countries to better understand how web designers and developers are adopting web standards into their work processes. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. Uh, I'm Dave Robbins, and uh, today I want to present some uh, results of, of research that uh, my colleague Sonda Catilla and I have been doing at uh, Kent State University and um, on, on how organizations are adopting web standards into their uh, web design and development practices. Um, we, uh, th this sort of came about by we were wondering, uh, you know, to what extent this is affecting um, the, the way people do business. Why aren't more people developing uh, with uh, strict standards? And we wanted to come up with a model for um, how to um, uh, how to help people, how to help practitioners move into the standards arena. But uh, before we could do that, uh, we had to collect some data. And uh, before uh, before we uh, could could really advise people, we we really didn't even know what the state of adoption was. So that, the first thing we did was we said, okay, we're going to make a survey. And so that's what uh, that's sort of what we're going to report here. But I. Uh, but um, also, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about what we mean by web standards, just to sort of so that we're all on the same page. We're not going to um, uh, not going to go into long-winded definitions of this because we want to get to the results. Uh, but um, I'm going to give an overview of the survey. Then uh, the bulk of the of the uh, uh, presentation will be on the results of the survey. Also, the results of a case study that. Um, one of my students is doing, and I just got, uh, he just sent me the, the paper on, on Tuesday, a first draft of the paper, and some talking points, so I'm going to go over those. Um, this sort of, uh, this is an actual, so we've, what, what I'm presenting here then is the results of a survey where we're getting baseline data on how people are adopting web standards and what impact it's having on their processes. But also, now we're looking at one organization, a large multinational organization, and how the attempt to adopt accessibility standards uh, there has been met. Okay, so um, I have, this is hot off the press. Uh, so uh, you, you're lucky right now that you're missing the ducks because you're getting brand new research that nobody else has seen. So, um, and I appreciate you being here. It, it makes me feel good that, uh, you know, that I've been picked in favor of waterfowl. Um, but then we're going to talk about the implications of this uh, research for, uh, for all of these uh, uh, areas. Okay, so uh, again, the background, we really wanted to provide a model for how organizations could transition to web standards. Uh, but we quickly realized, I mean, we would talk about this and talk about this and try to, try, and there was just no way we could do this without data. We had to have some data about uh, um, uh, what, what was going on, and we knew of no uh, source of data on this, so we um, uh, made a, we figured the quickest, 
and the, the most easy way to get a baseline um, uh, feel for how, what people are doing was to send out a survey uh, and to attempt to understand the current state of adoption. So we needed some baseline data so that when we uh, look, at, look at this in the future, we can compare and see how people are, uh, you know, see what's happening uh, in comparison to this particular study. It doesn't address all the issues related to implementing web standards. Some of the, there was one reviewer of this paper uh, who had some really good points, you know, that how do you then, what, what happens when you, uh, when an organization actually starts to use these things, and that's what we're, that's what I'm trying to get to in the, uh, in the uh, case study um, that my student is doing. So what we're, uh, we asked, for this particular paper, the, the survey was a little more wide-ranging than this, and I'll go over that, but um, uh, for now, the uh, research questions for this particular aspect of what I'm reporting here are, among organizations, uh, designers, developers, what level of commitment is there to the adoption of web standards? Is this a big deal to, to people? Are they really trying to do it? Um, and what forces are driving the adoption? So if they are adopting the, you know, web standards, which it seems that a lot of people are, but, um, but what, um, uh, what forces are driving uh, them to adopt the standards and how have web standards influenced the design processes or impacted the design processes? Uh, okay, so uh, just to... Um, um, let you know what we think web standards are, and then you'll know whether you need to disagree with my, our fundamental assumptions. Um, uh, these are, we're just defining very simply as guidelines, best practices, technical specs set forth by the W3C. Um, uh, and, but it's kind of more than that. It is a little bit, uh, you could say, um, people adopt this web standard sort of persona or uh, modus operandi or philosophy or even paradigm uh, to which uh, web designers and developers align their processes and methods. So they just sort of get this. Uh, I'm, I've joined a couple of uh, web standards groups, uh, and I go talk to people who are developers, and, and, um, and they're really passionate about what they do. They're, the people who get into web standards feel that this is, you know, the way to go. You, <laughs> I mean, you're an idiot if you don't do this. So. <laughs> um, but... Um, and, but we can say also that it involves these processes, CSS, XHTML, accessible content, uh, tools, you know, so the, the proper markup of content, um, all, all of these things, proper scripting, are part of web standards. Um, so if, you know, when we get to the questions, or if you have any questions at any time, you can stop me and ask, but um, uh, I think that's, that's our, that is our approach, and, and there may be, uh, uh, other approaches, but that's what we're using as a fundamental assumption when, in the survey that we're doing. So it's typically thought of, web standards are typically thought of on this kind of three-tiered, um, uh, three-layered approach. Um, uh, at, the at the base, we have uh, behavior and programming where database scripting and uh, JavaScripting, sort of AJAX interaction is, is developed. Uh, content and structure layer is um, where uh, markup takes place, okay? So you're, you're dealing with, um, uh, th this is where if you're going to uh, have, for example, an accessible content, this is what, what uh, a reader, a screen reader would interact with, okay? So at this, mostly at this level. Um, so structural conventions such as XHTML, um, 
HTML, that sort of thing, are, are at that level. And then the user interacts, or at least cited users interact with the presentation style level. And uh, so at that level, we see the, uh, certain types of activities such as template development, uh, CSS development. Uh, you can see usability testing, again, for cited users and uh, you know, grid systems, things of this nature. So the graphic designers work up here a lot. Okay. Now, the, here's the trouble with web standards. Um, it's kind of hard to say exactly what they are. Uh, there was, I don't know if you saw this uh, Joel on Software article about a year ago, um, and he's talking about Martian headsets, and he uses this thing where uh, he talks about Martian headsets and they, uh, that, that have, they were designed for one particular technology. The plug will only fit in that technology, and then he goes off on this long thing about how when the next iteration of the technology came along, that plug wouldn't fit, so they had to... So, it's this whole thing about backward compatibility, um, but it's also about the fact that you know what's a standard to one group may not be a standard to another. So what I did was I looked at 60 sites, and um, of three different genres. One was e-commerce, so 20 20 e-commerce sites, 20 academic library sites, and 20 public library sites. Um, just I just said I just want to see what people are doing just off the. Uh, you know, just a, a one-off little quick study. Um, so, is everybody familiar with what quirks mode is? Any, anybody not know what quirks mode is? Or, okay. Quirks mode means that you haven't declared any kind of uh, standard that you're working with. So, in the, at, you know, at the header of the document, the, the document type declaration at the top of a document states what kind of document this is. And um, so if you don't state that, then uh, I, I use Firefox as the browser to look at this. And you, on the toolbar up in Firefox, it tells you whether it's in quirks mode or standards mode. So, um, you know, you can look and it says, uh, so anyway, 42% of the sites of those 60 sites were rendered in quirks mode by the browser. Okay. And 58% uh, were 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 in standards mode. So there's a little green check mark if it's standard mode. And then... I think it's a red X if it's quirks. So um, the standards uh, mode uh, of those, there I found four different types of standards that were being employed. Uh, XHTML strict, uh, which is 7% uh, of them. XHTML transitional, 30%. That's the highest. Um, XHTML4 strict, only 3%, and HTML4 transitional. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's also XHTML 1.0 frames, there's, I mean, there's, there's standards all over the place. So what are we using? I mean, so when somebody says my, my site is standards compliant, that only tells a little bit of the story, right? I mean, so we, I, what I really would like to do, um, and I'm trying to get, find somebody who can do this, is to write a, write a, um, uh, a spider to go out and do a huge inventory somewhere so we can really find out what the state of the art is right now and then compare it every six, eight months or six months to a year um, and find out, you know, which one, and, you know, even if you could find out which sites are, are um, uh, accessibility rated at single A, double A, triple A, things like that. So uh, it might be, a, a, I think it'd be a useful study to see where things are. But if, but then when you break it down, you just, you, you know, the standards thing is all over the place. So I thought I'd throw that in before the survey, okay? 
On the survey, we, we had um, seven parts to it. Uh, we just asked general questions about web standards adoption. Do you use them? How much do you use them? Do you know what they are? What kind do you use? Things like that. Have you hired anybody <laughs> to, uh, to work on your sites uh, because of their knowledge of web standards? Things of that nature. Uh, uh, we looked at the forces that drive web standards adoption. We're going to talk about that in here. Implementation of web standards into work processes. What what happens when you know when you start when you make a shift in your in your organization? Um, Sanda, my co-author, her um, her husband runs a, a graphic design web design uh, outfit in Cleveland uh, called Digino and. And they have had Eric Meyer in talking about web standards, and they've had all kinds of experts in talking about this, but they're still using processes that, you know, that don't produce, you know, good standards uh, compliant code. And so they, it's because when of this third point, <coughs> they're, they're a little concerned about switching gears in the middle of the you know, because they've got these, these engines basically going to crank out work, and how do they change that? So uh, then I, I was also interested, this won't be reported here, but I was also interested in the use of style guides and naming conventions in organizations and by uh, consultants. Uh, and naming conventions, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I listened to uh, John Alsop, who was, you know, wrote the book on microformats and that, naming conventions were really important to him, and I thought it was a really interesting talk, and. You know, so how do people name classes and IDs when they mark up text, when they mark up documents? This is really a, a kind of an interesting problem. Um, so uh, maybe only to academics, I have no idea. But, um, but then um, the use of web accessibility standards, that was another section of the, of the thing. I'm going to report a little bit about that when we talk about the case study. And uh, we want to know if people, in fact, were using microformats. Uh, and uh, so. Uh, not many were, and, and plus, to be honest, by the time, this was a long survey, by the time we got down to the end of the survey, people were dropping off like, uh, you know, like riders in a bike race on a steep climb, so they, they, couldn't, they couldn't handle it, so, <laughs> and, they, and, and, you know, I'm not blaming them, it was a, it was, it was a pretty grueling uh, survey, and, and I knew better than to make one that long, but I just really wanted to know this stuff. So, uh, and then we asked for open-ended comments. Okay, so, um, so we'll go, uh, the survey had 40 plus items, but some of the items had multiple things within them. Uh, and it was administered, I, I just sent out to these uh, meetups that, you know, like the ones that I had joined to, um, you know, around the Cleveland area. I went to meetups all around the world and the, and the Web Standards Group is an international organization. I sent it out to them. Uh, and so it linked it up, it's a SurveyMonkey um, uh, survey and they just, they were able to uh, go there and just take it. So the results, very good. The results, uh, so, uh, 128 responses, which isn't a huge amount, but it's, it gives us an indication of, of what people were uh, thinking. 71% of them completed the entire survey, and that's really not bad considering how long it was. Uh, represented 17 countries, mostly uh, represented by the US, UK, and Australia. 36% uh, claimed expert knowledge um, of, of web standards and how to implement them, and 52% were very familiar. So that's, that's uh, most of them, so what's it, 88% uh, uh, were, you know, uh, felt that they were pretty confident with, 
with uh, their knowledge of web standards. Uh, and that was sort of the audience we were looking for. We wanted, I mean, if you didn't, if you hadn't used web standards, there wasn't much we could ask. Uh, but um, uh, in, the, in the survey, because we wanted to find out how it was impacting their work. Uh, so we found that they used a variety of standards, just like the thing that, that the little study that I conducted that I showed you a minute ago. And 90% said organizations, uh, use, that the organization that they were in used some form of web standards in their work. Um, so again, we don't know exactly what that is, but um, uh, that's why we have to now do case studies and interviews and things of that nature. And their job, we asked for their job titles, um, and that, you know, as you probably well know, uh, they're all over the map. They, there were, uh, I think we had a list of about uh, 40 or so job titles in addition to the ones that we suggested. So, um, so what level of commitment is there in the, uh, this was our first question, the research question that we asked. Um, uh, we had strong agreement that web standards are important uh, to both uh, respondents and to their organization. So what we asked them was, do you feel that web standards are important to you? Well, how, you know, we asked them they, how important they felt web standards were, but they also asked them what their perception of their organization was. So we kind of want to get a feel for, you know, does your organization think that these are important? Uh, and uh, so they, they felt that it was. 46 develop, 46% uh, develop with web standards on all of their projects and 33% on most. So that's a high percentage that they're, they're at least working with them. Um, 54, 54, <laughs> let me try that again. 54% uh, of the respondents had made hires. So if you know web standards, this was taken about, uh, I think it, we ended over the summer, so it was before the, uh, the Depression. And um, so if you, um, you know, but still you may be able to get a job as, if you know web standards. Um, so about 30% uh, 30 per, 30 of uh, them developed for mobile devices because we had asked, um, you know, okay, so we figured if people are developing with web standards, one of the indications that, uh, that they know that it's important is that if you can write the content once and send it out to many devices, this is one of the great advantages of working with web standards. So, um, yeah, there, was, there, were, there were a few other things that people mentioned, but not many other things, just mobile. We asked about cell phones and, you know, uh, uh, PDAs, handhelds, that sort of things. So, um, now, what forces are driving the web standards? This is our second question. What forces are driving the adoption of web standards? Um, uh, so we asked what groups. We were looking at, okay, are there groups of people who are saying, you know, you gotta, you, you know we've got to do this. Well, it was mostly the development teams themselves. This is what they report. They said, you know, we are the evangelists in this organization. We make, we, we, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to come from us, the developers, because we feel it's important. Nobody else know, seems to know anything about it. Uh, management, however, 43%, it's not an insignificant amount, uh, uh, are driving this, uh, but not so much from clients or legal teams. Now, we, we asked specifically whether legal teams were, um, were involved in, in, these, in this sort of push to web standards because web standards is the basis, in my mind at least, for accessibility if you if you design using strict web standards you are halfway to accessibility right I mean there's there's a few other things you have to do to make your site accessible 
Uh, but you know, you can get a if you design strictly with web standards, you should get a single A rating, right? Maybe you maybe you forgot to say that the meta tag for the language being English or something, but uh, you know that's about it. And um, so. Uh, but they, they also indicated that they wanted to make their work easier in the long run. So we were asking, why would you, you know, why would you do this? And we suggested some things and, you know, like make your work easier in the long run was the highest rated one. But multi-purpose content was right there. So that, like I said, you know, to send this content out to, to various types of devices was also an extremely important reason for moving to web standards. So. So this just sort of summarizes that, uh, make my job easier in the long run. Uh, the blue is somewhat important. The red, very important. Those were the top two. So it was like a, you know, a, it was somewhat, I think it was very important, somewhat important, neither important or unimportant, somewhat unimportant. <laughs> you know, that, that scale, it was that kind of five point scale. And uh, so the, uh, so you can see that this is how it goes down. Adoption of uh, web accessibility standards was the second highest one uh, besides multi, it was actually above multi-purposing uh, the uh, content. So the adoption of, I mean, you can see that the adoption of web accessibility standards is a huge reason for, for doing this. Goodwill was up there. We threw, we threw in Goodwill just thinking, I was just sort of as a lark. I would, but I had talked, actually, it was not totally uninformed because I had talked to people like my student who I'm about to report the results of that uh, uh, case study on. And they, they talked, he, he talked about that even in their inward facing sites to, to work with accessibility standards was a gesture of goodwill to the people in the organization. So I threw that in and a lot of people did respond to that. Company policy and management uh, <coughs> mandates uh, was not that high um, and uh, client requests, legal pressures down on the bottom. I found that surprising. I found that legal pressures, I, I would be surprised that after things like Target being sued over having inaccessible websites um, would have uh, motivated legal teams to pressure development teams to design with standards, but uh, apparently that was not the case. Um, all right, uh, another force that, that uh, you know, despite, I don't know if anybody went to Eric's, Eric Reese earlier, ROI. <laughs> uh, so if you didn't go, then it wouldn't be funny, but uh, ROI, um, it, it, I think it is sort of important. I, I mean, you know, I think, I think what he's talking about, what Eric talked about, well, you just have to listen to the podcast or something, but um, ROI, I think, is important. And my student mentioned it in his, uh, in, in his uh, uh, case study. So uh, ROI, 57% of the people strongly agree that switching to web standards will produce a positive ROI. 31% believe their organization's man management had a similar belief. So there's a bit of a disconnect there. So if, if I'm uh, a developer in an organization and I say, uh, it kind of looks like this, that I believe web standards are important, but my management, maybe not so much. So I'm fighting a battle here. You can see this in the upper one. Now I'm not saying that that, but look at the agree somewhat. They're, they're pretty even. But, um, so it's not clear, it's not crystal clear that there's a, that there's a disconnect, but there is, there, I think in, in a lot of cases, what this reflects is that the developers are trying to do something, but they're not getting a lot of support. And 
Okay, this would be, if I were to design an experiment now, I would design it on the basis of this and I would go and talk to people and find out. Okay? So it's, I'm not saying this data or, or the, that it presents a totally conclusive picture that there's some disconnect there, but I think there is some. All right. So uh, now, impact on the use uh, uh, of web standards on development. This was our third question. So you're developing now, and now all of a sudden the development team has reached a critical mass, and they say, we're going to go totally strict web standards, and we're not doing this uh, uh, table design anymore or anything like that. So um, how, uh, you know, has it made our processes easier? Has it made our processes somewhat easier? <laughs> so we graded this a little bit. I don't know, and maybe in the future I would probably give them fewer choices, but... Uh, but has it had no impact, somewhat complicated our processes, made our processes much more complicated or not sure? So for the most part, they're saying it's made our processes easier, but down here there's those um, somewhat complicated our processes. Um, there's, that's sort of a bimodal or, you know, a bipolar uh, 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 look at, at, at what happens. So there's a bunch of people who say that, well, you know, yeah, it's great stuff, but... And when I teach this stuff, I, I see students who have, you know, been using tables to arrange stuff on a page, and now I'm telling them to take uh, division tags and move them around with CSS, and they're going, why is this popping all, you know, I can see where, where people would have a rough time making this transition, and if there's design, development pressures and time pressures on things, you know, it would drive you crazy. Yes, is it, is she, the question here for the podcast is, is, it, is that because of different browsers? That's a lot of it right there is trying to make, um, make those uh, elements position the same in different browsers, I think, is a huge part of it. There's no question about that. That would slow you down. Because you, if you were just checking one browser and, oh, okay, I got it working, and then suddenly somebody opens it up in IE8 or 7, and then they're going, wow, this is broken, it's not working. So yeah, it would, it's, that's a huge issue. Now the influence, again, on, on here's another question. The cost, we want to know, um, you know, did it increase your development time? So the more time, you, you know, did just doing this, did it make you work longer at it to try to get the same result? Uh, and so some, uh, you can see the relative uh, number. These are, these are, by the way, are um, numbers of occurrences. It's not percentage. It's, uh, you know, numbers. So um, it caused a major d decrease in development time. I'm reading them down in case you can't read them somewhat. Can anybody, can everybody see them in the back? All right. Okay. So somewhat decreased, neither decreased, decreased, somewhat increased development time caused major increases in development time. So it's, you know, it, right in the middle, it's pretty strong. It really didn't have a huge impact, it looks like, on the development time. Uh, but, it, but the next one is somewhat increased development time. So I, and that would seem to me to be... Now, what we, what, what we did was we um, had another question that I don't have the graphic for here, but we did ask them, uh, you know, we presented a couple of scenarios and asked them to check, and one of them, the, the most common one, selected was this, this increase our development time, but we anticipate that it will in the long run decrease our development time, okay? So that, that was the largest one uh, chosen. If once you buy into it, it seems that they really have faith that this is gonna in the long run save them something, okay? 
And that's an ROI question too as well. So, all right, uh, percentage of time spent on the conversion of legacy content. Okay, so legacy content, meaning old content that wasn't designed according to standards. So, you know, there's the uh, WCAG, which is the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines uh, by the W3C. Um, they they um, put, put out a set of standards for uh, accessibility, things of that nature. If you don't, okay, you've got all this legacy content back there that, is, that has been developed and now it's just sitting there and, and it's still being used on the web. Uh, do I go back and make it standards compliant? Well, that's not many people apparently are going to do that. Okay, and that's what this slide is, is showing. I mean, I, I don't imagine that they would. That would be an incredible amount of time and effort to, to redo all that content. And so I think what people do is they just sort of pick a point and move forward. And we'll see this in the uh, case study as well. So the case study, that, that concludes the survey part of it. And so we're going to turn to the case study uh, Jason Richardson is the student. I can't reveal the name of the organization that he works for. Um, um, uh, they kill me. They told me. So it's a large multinational firm. But I want to give him credit for this. He's done. He's he's been working there for a while. He has gone. This is his uh, master's project, and he's he's doing it on this doing a case study of the barriers and the, well, not necessarily the barriers, but the process of trying to get accessibility standards worked into an organization's processes, okay? So it's a large multinational firm, attempts, he wanted to get accessibility standard, standards on all the inward facing sites of that organization. So they're, they have developed this whole application with, it has all kinds of sub applications in it to uh, for basically the, the corporate intranet. Uh, over 30 applications are included in that, uh, in that system. And in this, this I'm, I'm not sure exactly how many, I've heard different numbers, so I'm just saying fewer than 200,000 employees in this uh, organization. Uh, the goal, the original goal was to comp complete uh, 508 and WCAG 2.0 compliance, to have every piece of content compliant for accessibility. Um, and they thought, I mean, he told me that he thought that they could just, that, you know, they, as soon as they learned the standards and how they should be developed, bam, they would make it happen. Has anybody had experience doing this sort of thing? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Did it work? The first time or, <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I don't have an answer for you, by the way. But, um, um, but anyway, here's the challenges. Numerous content developers Okay, there's a lot, there's, it's, this place is distributed all over the world, it's worldwide. And so you have um, people, not only say within the US, but every unit within the organization is developing their own content, their own, their, even their own websites, the whole thing. And they've developed a style guide that they've sort of had to go out and evangelize and make, you know, make, them, make people do it. Uh, but then there's internationalization and localization uh, issues as well that, that prevent this from being uh, uh, an easy thing to do. There's quick development timelines, so people are trying to get these, these applications ready to go, and they, and they, um, so they don't have time to make everything work. And, and right now, 
it almost seems like accessibility is a nice to have thing instead of a need to have thing, okay? Uh, there's a low percentage of users with disabilities, approximately 12 of the 100,000 people that this uh, application is serving. Okay, so I know that seems cold to say that, okay, there's 12 people, so is that a good percentage? But sometimes these business decisions do come down to these sort of things. I, I mean, I don't really know. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to ask him what, what they, what they um, are going to do about that. 508 is not required for this firm. So Section 508, I know I'm kind of maybe, I don't know if some of you, all of you are familiar with these terms. It's sort of tangential to what I'm uh, presenting here, but Section 508 is uh, from the American Disabilities Act. Uh, not, I'm sorry, that's not it. The American uh, Rehabilitation Act, uh, Section 508, and it uh, it pertains mostly to federal government. Uh, but uh, if you take money from the federal government for something, I wonder if the bailout uh, might be that uh, you may have to have 508 on top of you if you take bailout money, maybe. But it's that sort of thing, and. Um, 508, uh, this is not required for this firm, but they feel that it is the right thing to do and that they want to be ahead of changes in the law. So, I mean, it's a, it's a weird thing because when I talk to them, it seems like there is a sort of an internal, not fight, but a struggle to, to do the right thing, but also to be under this pressure to deliver these products and not be able to get everything in there that they'd like to do, which is pretty common, I would imagine. So the general issues uh, with this are that lots of people, uh, lots of people coding, trying to keep track of, of all this. Content is mostly textual, which is kind of good. That makes it a little easier. But uh, also there's a lot, they do have rich content uh, they have to account for in some cases. So they need to make sure users can get to that content regardless of any disabilities they might have. It's a, there's, you gotta watch out for ROI stuff. Scaling is important, you know, which products do you focus on? So which ones are going to be most highly concentrated, maybe in places where there are people with disabilities? Um, and then there's technical issues. So trying to understand the nature of uh, programming and building proper structure, but there are some cases uh, where the technical and the budgetary issues are, are keeping them from uh, getting full WCAG compliance. Some of, the, some of the products just, it's almost impossible to get full WCAG compliance. You might get, see there's, you know, there's these three tiers of WCAG compliance and your rating is, if you meet the first tier, it's A. If you meet the second tier, it's double A. Third tier, it's triple A. Triple A is really hard to do. Um, I mean, I have an all text site that I work on and I've, I think I've done everything that I can do for it, and I still am not getting AAA. And I see what it is, I see what they're telling me, but I'm still not getting it for some reason. But, um, but it, uh, it is tough to do. Um, and does that, but does that render, pro this is a really good question, does it render pr the products fully inaccessible if you don't get a WCAG AAA rating? I mean, it, it really, I don't know. I, 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 it's pretty good. I bet, I mean, until, uh, uh, my guess is it, it, you will never hear from people if you have a double A rating or a single A rating in most cases. Now, if you do, then you got to deal with it. But, um, but my guess is you won't. Um, the other thing is, is that this is just a side note, um, but 
there is a researcher in, in the UK doing research right now on are these standards really serving uh, the disabled community as well as they might? All these standards are really based on assumptions and not research. So we don't know whether all these things that the WCAG is stating to be the way to do things is really the best way to do things for disabled people. I mean, show me the research that says it. So that's another area of research that people could get into. So anyway, they're going to try to narrow down WCAG, uh, WCAG to some key requirements, focus on those key requirements, and make those work. Okay. So implications of this is there's a lot of difficulties in full implementation <laughs> and that the complexity of applications, and if you have complex applications in, a, in your organization, AAA is going to be tough to get. And you might take a hit on your ROI uh, due to all this development. So you have to take a kind of pragmatic, I'm going to do this much now, I'm going to do it this much at this focused area, and then move up, and that's more realistic. So you're going to target your implementation and try to move it from there. I don't, you can't just, you know, do this grand implementation right from the get-go. And the implications from the survey, um, a little, um, little different, there's very few legal pressures for standards. Uh, legacy content is not being dealt with, so that's, but the problem with that is then when you switch to another system, like a, if you're going to implement a content management system and your stuff isn't code uh, standards compliant, it makes it a little bit more difficult. You have to go and scrub all this stuff and, uh, and get it down to the, the, the basic content and then redo it. Um, but hopefully then you only have to do that once. Um, and then there's an impact on development time. Uh, an effort is high at first, but it does hopefully streamline down. To hear even more presentations from the 2009 IA Summit, point your browser to boxesnarrows.com and click on the podcast link. There you'll find access to the iTunes feed and more information about each presentation. Our heartfelt thanks to the organizers and sponsors of the 10th Annual IA Summit, the presenters, and of course to the global community. We look forward to feedback about future episodes that will be of greatest value to you, our listeners.